in the middle of the thought. So would you please take out your Bibles? And it is so important to take those Bibles out and indeed check out all of the things that I have to say this morning and to make sure that they are scriptural. As I've said to many people, the Bereans were willing to check out an apostle. I want you to check me out and make sure that the things that I say are what is the Bible says. A couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago today in fact, on Sunday, September the 18th, I preached a sermon entitled, Why Evangelize or Door Knock When Blank? In it we discussed God's biblical answers to two questions. Why evangelize or door knock when, we've tried that before and it doesn't work, quote unquote, and why evangelize or door knock when we can't even keep the ones we've got, quote unquote. And both of those sermons and every word I said are up on God's Word is Truth website. Now, because there is far more Bible than can ever be crammed into just one sermon, regarding the answers to such questions. This morning, I'm going to do a, a little sequel because I will tell you this. Satan loves not a whole lot more than when God's children are forced to be overburdened with burdens that God never intended for them to be. That is why I'm going to follow up that sermon with a, a sequel this morning, one that kind of further confirms and validates and expands upon its contents. And the purpose of this sermon is, the purpose is hopefully to encourage each and every one of us to continue going forward in the will of God and not carrying around burdens that God never intended for us to carry. I'm going to do that with a sermon this morning that is entitled, What Our God-Given Responsibility Is and Is Not as New Testament Christians. As we discussed in that lesson, one of the reasons that people say that door knocking doesn't work or isn't successful, when indeed in the eyes of God, as we discussed, it is successful every time that it is tried, is because people tend to use a different standard of measure when they talk about successful or working. See, we as people tend to use this standard of measure when it comes to door knocking or evangelizing or any outreach program. Our standard of measure is, how many people did we bring in? That's our standard of measure. So we don't consider it to be successful quite often. But you see, that's not God's standard of measure. That's not God's standard of measure whatsoever. God's standard of measure of success is based upon whether or not we are obedient to him and his word when he said go. God's standard of measure is when he tells his children to go do anything whether or not they're faithful and willing to go do it. That is God's standard of measure. And we know this from many, many things. Therefore, Every time we do go and evangelize or go tell somebody the gospel or, or go door knocking or, or go whatever it is that we're doing to, to when God says go tell people, whenever we do that, 
then we are successful, if you will, in the eyes of God because we're faithfully and obediently carrying out his will to seek and to save the lost, whether or not they ever choose to come or not. That's the thing we got to get, and hopefully by the end of this lesson we will. Because, you see, here's the punchline. God holds us responsible for whether or not we go when he says go, and not whether others come when we say come. God holds us responsible for whether or not we go when he says go, and not whether or not others come when we say come. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, if you're taking notes. God does not, we've we got to get this, God does not and will not, brethren, hold any of us responsible for others' decisions. We've we got to get that. God does not and will not hold us responsible for others' decisions regarding what they choose to do or not to do when it comes to coming to and staying with him and his church. It's simply amazing how many times we see this truth in Scripture. Satan wants for us to hold ourselves responsible every time somebody turns us down. Satan wants us to hold ourselves responsible every time we talk to somebody about the gospel and they don't come. Satan wants for us to hold ourselves responsible for everybody else's decisions that are negative. But God does not want us to do that for others' decisions regarding whether or not they come or they go or they stay or they don't or they serve or they don't or whatever because if we do that, we're holding ourselves responsible for something God does not, and it'll crush us. How many of you have ever studied with somebody that did not come to Christ? Raise your hand. Raise them high. I want to see them. Don't do this. I want to see them. Hurts, don't it? We do that two or three times because we know what they're missing, and if we hold ourselves responsible for that person's decision, we're going to quit trying. It's as simple as that. We're going to get depressed, and Satan loves that because we stop serving God, because we stop reaching out, because we stop trying, because we hold ourselves, well, you know, it's my fault they didn't come because this, that, whatever else. No, no. And it is amazing how many times we see this soul-freeing, guilt-alleviating, God-given truth in Scripture, and yet still, sometimes, oftentimes, many times, we continue to hold ourselves bound we hold ourselves hostage to this and neutralized by others' choices and decisions as indicated by those two questions. And we need to understand and be reminded of this morning just how needless that burden is that Satan just tries to grind us to spiritual powder under. For example, and we're getting to Deuteronomy now. God did not hold Moses responsible for his people's departures from his will and into the depths of idolatry. God did not hold Moses responsible for God's people's departure into idolatry any more than God held his son Jesus responsible 
for those who left his little group in John chapter 6, as we discussed last week, or any more than God held himself responsible as the father in the story of the prodigal son, which we also discussed last week. God did not hold himself responsible as the father in that account for the prodigal son's leaving. any more than he held Moses responsible. Look with me in Exodus. I'm sorry, did I tell you Deuteronomy? I am so sorry. Exodus, let's try that. Exodus chapter 32. That'll teach me to think too far ahead, won't it? So we'll disturb the flow of the lesson anyway. Okay. Exodus chapter 32. Look at this, verse 7. We know God is... Uh, Moses is, is up there on the mountain with God. We know the people have made the golden calf. And I want you to watch this. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I may consume them. And I will make of you a great nation. There's a lot of things we could notice from that text. I don't want to preach just on that text this morning. I don't want to chase too many rabbits. But one of the things I just kind of sidebar, do you notice how God said to Moses, your people you know, that you let out instead of my people? God didn't even claim them anymore, which is another sermon itself. But that's not the point of this lesson. Did you notice what he told Moses? He said, those people have done this. Now Moses was the leader of those people, wasn't he? But God doesn't hold Moses responsible for their decisions. In fact, he goes on to tell Moses in the last verse of that text that I read, Moses, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Moses, not only do I not hold you responsible for the decision that those people have made that you led out of Egypt, but because you did what I asked you to, I'm going to reward you. He didn't hold Moses responsible for the people's decision. Perhaps one of the best and most extensive examples of this truth that we, this truth that we as God's people cannot, must not allow Satan to get ourselves responsible or hold ourselves responsible for the choices that other people make spiritually. Perhaps the greatest Old Testament example anyway that we can see is in the book of Ezekiel. Please turn there with me. And I should say examples and not example because Ezekiel has more than one. And notice in all of these, whether it's Moses or Ezekiel or some of these other examples, the only thing that God holds these men responsible for is whether or not they go speak his word. Not what the people do with it. Not the people's responses. Not whether they come or go or stay or leave or disobey or obey. None of those things. Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Notice how this comes out. Ezekiel 2, verse 1, And he, that is God, said to me, that is Ezekiel, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me, and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. I heard him who spoke to me. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, 
to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Keep in mind, these were God's own people. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. They are impudent and stubborn children. And I'm sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord your God. God says, you're going to tell them my word. That's your charge. As for them, notice how he changes gears. This is what you're going to do. Now, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been amongst them. What they do with that word, I'm not holding you accountable for, Ezekiel. But I am holding you responsible to tell them what I said. Beyond that, it's up to them. In fact, he says in verse 16, You son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you and you dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them. That's your responsibility. Whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Same thing. We, we look on in the next chapter, and we see it again. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. He said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel. Speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar language and of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. Do you get what's going on there? God says, I'm not sending you to people who don't know me and you don't understand their language. I'm sending you to my people. He said, if I had sent you to strangers, they'd actually listen. More than my house. But notice that he's still not placing their response at Ezekiel's feet. He says there in verse 7, But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me, for all the house of Israel are impotent and hard-hearted. We go down to verse 10. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you, and hear with your ears. And go, get to the captives and the children of Israel and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. Now, the only thing I'm trying to take out of this text here is the fact that just like door knocking, just like any outreach, just like anything spiritually, our responsibility is to go tell them. Seek to tell them. What they do with it is not up to us. We cannot blame ourselves for other people's responses to the gospel. Satan wants you to do that so bad, I'm probably going to get nailed for this sermon by Satan later on. Oh well. Because Satan loves to crush us under guilt that we should not bear. And the only person we are responsible to God for is ourselves. He continues, verse 11, I'm sorry, I've just read verse 11. Go with me in chapter 3 to verses 25 through 27 as we finish out that chapter. 25 through 27, and you, O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. Why? Because he's teaching them the word of God. 
and they're not going to like it. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute, or mute, mute, and not be one to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you will say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who has ears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. And again, the only thing I want to take out of this, He who has ears, let him hear. He who refuses, let him refuse. Ezekiel, that's not on you. What's on you is to go. And you know, this, this same thing that's true when it comes to spiritual things that we are not responsible for somebody else's decision spiritually to come or to go or to, to stay or whatever. That not only applies spirit, to spiritual family, do you know Ezekiel says that applies to our physical families as well? He applies that to our physical families. If you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 18, we'll see this again. Now, I'm not going to read verses 1 through 18, but in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 through 18, Ezekiel is told, uh, verse 4, all souls of mine, the son of the father, as well as the soul of the son. And then he goes into this, this conversation or this, this oration where he says basically there, the one who does the right thing, I'll reward. And it's very basic. I, I'm boiling it all down very much. But God says, but the thing here is, is if a man's done wrong and he decides to do good, that's what he's going to be responsible for. Or if he's done good and he decides to do bad, he's going to be responsible for that, but he's responsible for himself. And, and the wrap-up of this is seen in verses 19 and 20 of Ezekiel chapter 18, where God says this, Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the father? See, the people are saying, well, well shouldn't the son bear the guilt of the father? God says, because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and observed them, he shall live. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. You do not have to shake your heads, raise your hand or anything except in, under your breath answer this question. Church, aren't you glad that you don't have to answer for the sins of your parents or the sins of your adult children. I am so glad that I do not have to answer for the sins of my parents. Not that my parents were bad people, they were just people. And I don't have to answer for the sins of my children. Not that I have bad children, but they're human, they make mistakes. I got enough problem with my own sin. Amen? I'm so glad I don't have to. God says, no, you're not responsible for theirs. Right here in this passage, he says, the father will bear his own, son will bear his own, we each bear our own. And what's true in the physical family is true in the spiritual family as well. You're not going to be held accountable for my sin, any one of you. And I'm not going to be held accountable for yours. You're not going to be held accountable for my decisions, and, and I'm not going to be held accountable for yours. Brethren, it is absolutely essential that we as Christian parents, grandparents, elders, preachers, teachers, and Christians of all, all ages and all mindsets and all perspectives all come to understand and internalize this this morning if we are ever going to be truly free to move forward in our service in the kingdom, to truly move forward unhindered in our service to the Lord Jesus Christ.
It doesn't matter if we're talking about those people whose doors we knock and they don't come, who slam the door in our faces, who set their dog on us or whatever they do. It doesn't matter if it's them. It doesn't matter if it's those that we love and work and recreate with, whom we can never get to come to a Bible study with us despite our best efforts. It doesn't matter if it's them. It doesn't matter if it's those who come and stay a while and then suddenly turn around and walk away for whatever reason. It doesn't matter which of those groups it is. It is absolutely critical that we understand, that we internalize this God-given truth right now, that although those situations, listen, those, I'm not denying those situations all hurt. It hurts when you knock a door and tell go, boom! It hurts when you've got a family member that you try to reach with the gospel because you want to share Jesus Christ. Don't bring that into my house. I know, I've been there. It hurts when you have somebody that becomes a Christian, comes for a while and then leaves. It hurts. We all know that. What God wants us to understand is we lay all of that at our feet God doesn't want it there because he knows it will crush us and their decision is not our responsibility. Because it will hogtie and neutralize us and could wind up damning us for all eternity if we allow that burden that God never put there to stay there. Our responsibility is to obey God by going to seek and to save the lost in whatever terms and forms that takes, and then to love them, to love those people, to teach those people, to work with those people, to forgive those people when they mess up, to seek their forgiveness when we mess up, to work together to maintain that unity. That's our responsibility. But their decision as to what to do with all of that is not our responsibility. When we start holding ourselves responsible for others' decisions to come or not come or stay or not stay or serve or not serve, we set ourselves up for eternal failure. And I'll tell you why. Because we become deeply, quickly, hopelessly discouraged. Listen, if you don't answer this one out loud. Let me say it for me. I've got enough sin in my life and problems that I'm trying to deal with that I can get discouraged with my own situation some days, okay? I don't need 18 other people's discouragement heaped on my shoulders because my shoulders ain't that big. God knew that. That's why God didn't hold those that went out and did what he asked them to do in preaching the word responsible for those people they preached to and what they heard and what they did with it. Because if we become neutral, if we say, well, you know, you know what, I've, I've knocked doors, or I've reached out to people, or I've tried to say, and you know what, they, don't, I, they just don't want nothing to do with it. And you know what, I'm done. When you say I'm done, do you know what that means? That means when God says go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, you're telling God, I ain't going. You're responsible for that, and I'm responsible. That's why we can't let Satan do that to us. That's his end game, destroy you. That's his end game. He wants you in hell. And he's going to unleash everything he can. And one of the greatest weapons is, is to load you down with guilt that God never held you responsible for. That's why lessons like these in response to questions like those are so critical. I want to look real quickly at three. I'm not even going to turn there. I'm just going to remind you of them. But that doesn't mean they're not important because I don't turn there. I'm going to examine three questions apiece. 
regarding three New Testament characters when it comes to the same vital truth on display in their lives. Number one, Jesus. Did God hold Jesus responsible for not converting the scribes and the Pharisees, yes or no? Did God hold Jesus responsible for not converting the scribes and Pharisees? No, he did not. No more than he will hold us responsible for those whose doors we knock who do not come. Number two, did God hold Jesus responsible for not keeping the disciples that walked away in John 6? Remember, they walked away because they couldn't understand, eat my flesh, drink my blood. We covered this last week. John chapter 6, many of his disciples walked away. Did God hold Jesus responsible for those who walked away from his little congregation there? Did he? No, he did not. As I said last week, or two weeks ago, it wasn't that Jesus failed to keep them, it's that they failed to want to stay kept, or they failed to want to keep staying. Number three, did God hold Jesus responsible for not keeping Judas Iscariot faithful? Did God hold Jesus responsible for not keeping Judas faithful? No. Of course he didn't. Why? Because Judas had his own free will and Judas could do whatever he wanted to. Judas spent three and a half years with the disciples. He saw the miracles. He saw the loaves and the fish. He saw the dead raised. He heard the sermons. He was there for all of those things. He saw Peter walk on water. He was in that boat. And he still chose to walk away. You know why Judas walked away, right? He was upset with the church leadership for one of their financial decisions. That's about what it came down to. The woman comes in in Mark 14 and, and she breaks the vial on Jesus' feet and, and, and she's anointing Jesus and, and, and Judas and some of the other disciples have a fit and say, hey, this money could have, this is a year's salary. This could have been used to give to the poor. And, and the scripture tells us he said that because he used to pilfer out of the money box. Judas had a problem with the congregation's leadership, if you will. Jesus was the leader of this little congregation, a group of people. He had a problem with the congregation's leadership and the decisions they made because it didn't go the way he wanted it to go, so he went out and sold them all out. Is that what happened? Did God say to Jesus, that's your fault, Jesus? Of course not. That's ridiculous. Because Jesus had done everything that he could possibly do. He had preached the lessons, raised the dead, done the miracles. Judas had even been given power when they were originally sent out, had been given power over spirits and things, and God didn't hold Jesus responsible for Judas's leaving. Number two, second character. What about Peter on the day of Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost, we get all charged up because Peter went out and preached the first gospel sermon, 3,000 people were baptized, and that's awesome. I'd love to see 3,000 people baptized in Jordan. We'd have a whole town, wouldn't we? I think that's about right. According to most commentators, there were between 50,000, depends on who you listen to, some a little on the low side will say 50,000, some will say there may have been as many as 100,000 there that day. I, I don't know. There were tens of thousands of people there, okay? Peter preaches the gospel, preaches his heart out, preaches the truth, keeps on preaching. 3,000 were added to the church. Question, did God condemn Peter or hold Peter responsible for the tens of thousands that did not come that day? Did he? No, he didn't. 
No, he didn't. Second question. Did God hold the Apostle Peter responsible for not converting the rulers, elders, the scribes, the high priest, and his family in Acts chapter 4? No, God did not hold Peter responsible for that. But he would have held Peter responsible if Peter hadn't spoken up. Third question about Peter. Did God hold church leader, preacher, and Apostle Peter responsible for not keeping Ananias and Sapphira honest and faithful. You ever see God say, Peter, you blew it. Peter, that's on you that Ananias and Sapphira pulled that stunt. God did not hold Peter responsible for Ananias and Sapphira's decision to lie to the Holy Spirit. That was on them. Third character finally three quick questions regarding the God-given responsibilities of the Apostle Paul and I'm gonna put all these together in a group did God hold the Apostle Paul responsible for those for not converting those who wanted to kill him and run him out of town after he preached at a number of stops on his three missionary journeys Paul got up there and just unloaded, he, he preached the gospel. Did God hold him responsible for those that wanted to run him out of town and what they did with the message? Didn't hold Paul responsible for that, nope. Did God hold the apostle Paul responsible for not converting Felix, Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice to Christ in Acts 24 through 26? No. And finally, did God hold the apostle Paul responsible for not keeping Demas in his little group of disciples in 2 Timothy 4. Remember Demas, he went back to the world, he's loved this present world, 2 Timothy 4.10. In Colossians we see that Demas is right there with him, but in 2 Timothy 4 we see that Demas has gone back into the world. Paul's little congregation there, a little group of people that he's working with, he sent some here and some there, Luke's with him, and, and he says Demas has gone back into the world. Do you see God anywhere coming down on Paul and saying, look, you should have kept Demas. Demas is on you. No, because you know why? Because Demas went on him. Now, do you suppose the Apostle Paul felt bad about that? Do you suppose he felt bad about losing a soul back into the world? Of course he did. He had to have. It hurts when you lose a soul. But if you lay all that on your own shoulders, Satan will crush you with it. And he'll stop you from serving. And if he stops you from serving, and he stops you from going, and he stops you from being obedient, He's got you. God did not hold the Apostle Paul responsible for his audience choices any more than he has ever held any faithful, truth-touting Christian responsible for their audience choices, audience's choice. I don't care if it's a family member you've reached out to, a coworker. I, I don't care if it's door knocking or VBSing or, or whatever you've tried to do and reach out. If you have told them about Jesus, if you have sought to share the gospel, their decision is not your responsibility. And it's the same once they get here. If they're baptized into Christ, uh, uh, Matthew 13 talks about the different kinds of seed and the different kind of heart, and, and some, because of the cares of the world or, or because of the word, they'll, they'll choke out and, and all of these things. You know what? That's on them, not you. Sure it hurts. 
Some of us will never recover from some of the scars of people that we brought to Christ who are no longer faithful. Those scars will always be there. They're always going to be tender. And they're always going to hurt. They're not on you. You see, God doesn't even hold Christians. In the first century, God did not even hold Christians who were married to pagan spouses responsible for converting their spouses to Christ or keeping them faithful. 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16. God only held those Christian spouses who were married to non-Christian spouses responsible for doing the best they could to reach their spouse. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. You see, we serve a God who rewards us for doing what we can. Is that right? The woman, she hath done what she could. Therefore, wherever this gospel is preached, this story will be told of this woman. She has done what she could. The only thing God holds us responsible for is doing what we can. Now sometimes, despite our best efforts in a bunch of different fields, people ain't coming. People ain't staying. People ain't doing a lot of things. We try. We mess up. We try. You see, Paul, Paul understood this. Turn to me in your Bibles to Romans 8. Paul understood this. Listen, if Paul or Peter or any of those guys had constantly walked around bearing the full brunt of responsibility and guilt for the people that they didn't reach, I don't think any of them would have gotten anywhere near as far as they did. They'd have been crushed. The Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and following, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? Here it comes. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Satan says, that's your fault. You did this. What they did, they didn't come. You know why they didn't come? They didn't come because of you. They didn't come because you didn't say the right thing at the door. They didn't come because they didn't like the way you looked. They didn't stay because of you. It's all your fault. It's all on you. It's all on you, Doug. It's all on you, Mark. It's all on you, whoever. It's all on you. You're the reason. That text says, who is the one that condemns? God. I, I love this line. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. The only person you are going to answer to on Judgment Day is God. God who knows your heart, knows how hard you've tried. If you've tried with that person and you've tried with that person, thank God that you are going before somebody who knows every thought and intention of your heart, knows every labor you have put in, knows every time you have tried, knows when you have failed, you have fallen on your face in prayer and begged God's forgiveness to get up and do better next time. God knows that. Aren't you glad you're going to be only judged by Him? God is the one who justifies. Satan and, and anybody else who wants to condemn, let them. God is the one who justifies. The only person you need to be concerned with is what you do between you and God according to the word. That's it. That's it. 
Because in the end, he's going to be the only one you stand before. And when you stand before him, you're going to be the only one there. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your grandparents, not this one, not that one, not this brother, not that sister, not this one I tried to reach. You and God. For each one shall give an account of himself on that day, Romans 14, verse 12. Paul understood that, and it's such a good thing. He says, it's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. You know what Paul said? He said, I'm going to answer to God for me. The God who knows me inside out, knows the thoughts and intentions of my heart before they're on my tongue. That God, whom I have tried to serve with everything I've got, despite how messed up I am. And if you don't think you're messed up, go reread the tail end of Romans 7 again. Paul says, I was a mess. The things I want to do, I don't seem to do. And the things that... That I, that I don't want to do, that's what I fall into. And this was after he's baptized. He talks about baptism in Romans 6. And then in Romans 7, he talks about his life as a Christian. In current, he says, the things I want to do are the things I don't. And, and, and wretched man that I am, verse 24, who will save me from the body of this death? He said, I am so messed up. I keep trying, but I just can't get it right. Who saved me? Romans 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He said, I'm going to stand for Christ. Christ justifies me. Christ is the only one I've got to worry about. He knows how hard I've tried. And that's all that matters. Nobody else knows, but he does. This is why Paul would write in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Why was Paul receiving a crown? Was Paul receiving a crown based on all those? Was God holding Paul responsible for all those people he didn't reach when he preached to them? Is that why he's getting a crown? No, of course not. He was getting a crown because he gave it all he had. Because his heart was humble, and despite his mistakes, and despite the mess he was, he was doing the best he could. He said, God's going to give me that crown that day, and to all who've loved his parent. Hey, Paul. Can't you just see, say, hey, Paul. What about, you didn't get to Felix. You didn't convert him, Paul. What about King Agrippa? You, you weren't quite good enough preaching it, Paul. God's the one who justifies. And I got a crown. In Acts 20, and verse 27, Paul says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Paul, really? He killed Christians. Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, he, he took them to prison and, prison and, and he forced them to blaspheme. And, and like Stephen in, in the tail end of Acts chapter 7, when he stoned, Paul's there giving his consent. Paul was responsible for the deaths of your brethren, my brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. He was responsible for them dying. He says in this verse, I declare to you, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Look at the rest of the verse. Four, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He was forgiven at his baptism. He went and preached that message. And because he preached to all men the gospel, no matter what they did with it, God wasn't holding him responsible for what they did with it. God wasn't holding him responsible because Demas walked away. God was going to hold him responsible for preaching the whole council. And he said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I've done exactly what God holds me responsible for. Paul knew that God did not hold him responsible. And brethren, God doesn't hold us responsible when we try and fail with people. The Bible tells us 
in Acts 2 and verse 5 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 100 years or so while he was building the ark. He was likely teaching the people what they needed to do to be saved. How many responded? Did God still save Noah and his family? But what about all those people that didn't listen? God didn't hold Noah responsible, did he? As a matter of fact, God was pleased with Noah, Genesis 6, 22 and 7, 5, because Noah had done all that the Lord that commanded. What those people did with the message was up to them. Same thing that we see tied to baptism in 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 21. You know, you can tell people they need to be baptized all day long. You can preach the gospel. You can bring up all the verses going around it. You can teach that it's the only way the prayer of faith isn't there. You can preach to your blue in the face. You give it everything you got. You know what some people are going to do? That's not what I believe. God doesn't hold you responsible for that, does he? Does he? And we can preach to people that they need to, they need to repent and, and they need to stay faithful and they need to serve. What if they don't? It's not on you. It's not on you. Faithful elders, preachers, teachers, parents, and Christians today, whether we are teaching God's truth on the need for repentance, baptism, forgiveness, attendance, whatever it is, and we're living it, it's then the responsibility of those who have heard it to what they're going to do with it. It's not yours. You know, in the Old Testament book of, um, of Joshua, we see Joshua reflect this same truth. If you want to turn there, you can. It's a very familiar passage in Joshua 24. Joshua, after he had led the people to victory and led them into the promised land, and he'd seen all these things and seen God respond in all of these different ways, the people, some of the people that he taught and was over still wanted to go back to the old ways and the old things. And Joshua was smart enough to realize in his faithful life to God that he wasn't responsible for their decisions. Their decisions were theirs. In, in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, he says, Now therefore... And he's encouraging them to do the right thing. Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. He's encouraging them. He's giving them the word. He's telling them what God wants them to hear. But he's also, he also has enough godly wisdom to realize once he's done that, his responsibility is over. And, and he says to them, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves to stay whom you will serve. You do what you want. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, you, can, you know what you need to do. I've done my part. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You do what you've got to do. So why is it then that we hold ourselves captive? We hold ourselves burdened with questions like, like we ask sometimes, and, and, and we say, well, I, I just can't reach out anymore, I, you know, because this person did this, or this person did that, or this person didn't do that. Why, why do we hold ourselves responsible for that when it comes to his commandments? Because God doesn't. Well, as I've said, it's one of Satan's biggest tools because if we stop trying to expand the kingdom, we stop reaching out, we stop doing what God told us to, that only increases the size of Satan's kingdom. 
which is what he's out for. In fact, we might be part of that growth process because God told us to go and we need to be obedient in whatever form that takes. This isn't just about door knocking next week. Here's the thought before I close. It's a thought I want you to take with you. Instead of allowing Satan to get us to blame ourselves for things that God never required of us, isn't it time we spent more time getting done the things that God does require of us? Instead of holding ourselves responsible when people either don't come or don't stay or whatever else and they make personal decisions to not be a part of the Church of Christ or whatever, rather than holding ourselves responsible for all of that and shouldering all of that burden that God never asked us to any more than he did all of those cases I've already mentioned, why don't we just devote more time to doing what God did say he requires of us and that's to go make disciples of all nations. I don't mean for this to sound callous, I really don't. <clears throat> I've done my part. <laughs> as far as this lesson is concerned, the lesson is yours. And the only person God is going to hold personally accountable and responsible for what you do with it is you, just like he's going to hold me personally responsible for what I do with it. You can reject it, or you can receive it. Kind of quoting Joshua here. You can berate it, or you can believe it. You can deny it, or you can obey it. This morning, if you've never been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, but you know that you need to, what are you going to do with that? I made my decision in 1985. <clears throat> Today, if you know that there's something standing between you and God that you get, that, let me start over. Today, if you know that there's something standing between you and God that you need to get rid of, what are you going to do with it? This week, <clears throat> If the opportunity arises to talk to somebody you know about the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know what he said about how important that is, how are you going to handle it? In the days to come, if a brother or sister hurts you, says something unkind to you, whether intentional or not, how are you? going to handle that. That's up to you. Just like mine's up to me. Next Saturday morning, if you are physically able, and we have people in this congregation who are not, next Saturday morning, if you are physically able, <clears throat> and if you don't have to work, and you don't have a family emergency, <clears throat> and you have the day that you can choose to spend the way you want, where will you as a child of God be as God's people go? I don't, and I don't judge anybody. It's up to you. It's not my responsibility to judge any more than it's my responsibility for you. Any more than it's your responsibility for me, and I'm not going to. I'm just asking the question. This morning it is time to take action and be obedient to the truths, whatever they are, that God will hold you responsible for.
and stop fretting and letting all of the things that God is not going to hold you responsible for burden you. Because it'll stop you from being obedient. If you have a need this morning to be baptized into Christ for a Bible study or anything we can help you with your prayer, please let us know as we stand and sing.